Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. In his eye-opening book, Jezebel's War with America, Dr. Michael Brown points out that the demonic force that led Israel into idolatry and immorality 3,000 years ago is at work today in America. Sexual temptation, the militant spirit of abortion, and most importantly, in the attempt to silence prophetic voices. But during the recent Illinois Family Institute Worldview Conference, Dr. Brown noted that God gives Christians his armor to turn the tide. Dr. Brown is the host of the daily, nationally syndicated radio show, The Line of Fire. Along with Jezebel's War with America, he's authored more than 30 thought-provoking books. And here are his remarks during the IFI 2020 Worldview Conference at the Village Church of Barrington. We're going to dive into the scriptures together and get into some really intense spiritual subjects, but you're here because you're serious. You're here because you're concerned about the direction of the culture. Uh, You're here because you know that something needs to change and that the key to change is within the church, amen? So it is one of my ministry mottos to avoid controversy at all costs. Okay, that's sarcasm. You use sarcasm in Chicago also, right? Because I'm from New York originally. So we don't get into controversial issues for the sake of controversy. But these are the realities. This is, this is the life in, that, that we live. So we've got to tackle things openly and honestly. And the book that ties in with my message today is this one, Jezebel's War with America, uh, that came out a few months back. And to our surprise and the surprise of the publisher, the first printing sold out the first week. We realized that we kind of struck a chord or hit a nerve. So that's what we're going to focus on today. Let's pray once more. Father, we love you and we honor you and we glorify you. And we ask you, Lord, to give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying through your word. May we have a heart to receive and obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's start in Ephesians, the sixth chapter. Ephesians chapter six. I wanna make clear that my focus is not on a big, bad devil, but on a great and mighty God. And I am not one looking for a demon behind every rock. However, the Bible speaks a lot to us about spiritual realities, about Satan, about spiritual warfare. And it's important, as Paul wrote to the Corinthians, that we are not ignorant of Satan's devices. So look at what Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 6, beginning in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. We are in a real spiritual battle. This is reality. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So this is talking about something that is hierarchical, something that is organized, something that is systematic, and something that is out to destroy. And it is part of a real spiritual battle that we are engaged in. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, 
you may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. What's remarkable in some of this language is that in Isaiah, the 59th chapter, God speaks of himself putting on the breastplate of righteousness and the helmet of salvation. In other words, metaphorically speaking, God gives us his armor. We fight with his spiritual weapons, metaphorically speaking. And then, in addition to all this, take up the shield of faith which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming hours of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. What I wanna do today is connect some spiritual dots for you. What I wanna do is look at what's happening in our society and give you an understanding spiritually of why these things are taking place so that we can better know what we're dealing with. You know, it's just like doctors looking for common symptoms and, and you may think this is unrelated, this is unrelated, this is unrelated. They can connect the dots and then we can fight this more effectively. So when we look in the Old Testament, when we talk about Jezebel, or the spirit of Jezebel, we do not mean that some ghost from the past is alive today, or that the spirit of some woman from the past is alive today. What we're saying is that we see some notable figures in the Bible that were involved in notable evil in a powerful nation-corrupting way, and we see the same demonic forces that operated back then through those individuals operating again today. So as we look in the Old Testament, Jezebel was a pagan princess who married the king of Israel. So her father was the king of the Sidonians, and we know that Jezebel was a fanatical idol worshiper, that she incited her husband to do more evil. First Kings 21 said there was no king like Ahab who did the evil that he did, but he was incited by his wife Jezebel. So he did evil, she pushed him even further. We know that she killed the prophets, so she was a murderer. And we know that she intimidated by fear. Now think of this. The prophets that weren't killed were hiding in caves. Why were they so afraid to speak? If, if you die, you die. But they were cowering in caves for fear of their lives. At one point, even the mighty prophet Elijah ran from her in fear. We see also that she emasculated her husband. We read that in various accounts, most notably the, the vineyard of Naboth and what happened there. And, and we see she incited her husband to do evil and she's associated in 2 Kings 9 with sorcery and with sexual immorality. This woman named Jezebel. And when there's no explicit mention of her involved in the killing of babies, we know in the ancient world when you had idolatry that you all had, also had the sacrificing of babies to idols. Then in the New Testament, there's a woman called Jezebel as well. Was that her actual name? or just what Jesus called her because of her associations with Jezebel of old. She's a false prophetess, we read about her in Revelation 2. She's a false prophetess. She seduces God's people into sexual immorality, same as the Jezebel of old, referred to as involved in sexual immorality. And she teaches God's people to eat food sacrificed to idols. So you have the connection again with idolatry and sexual immorality that you find throughout the scriptures. What happened with me 
was a friend of mine, a pastor, a couple of years ago at the end of his Sunday morning service, asked for prayer for the president. And whoever the president is, we should be praying for, regardless of partisan politics. We pray for our president, we pray for God's best. And he said something that seemed very odd. He said, Jezebel is trying to attack the president. Witchcraft is coming after the president. Now, in point of fact, witches have been bonding together to hex the president and ban the president and do all this kind of thing. It's like coming out of the woodwork. He just asked for prayer in this particular way at his Sunday service, which was aired live stream on YouTube. Well, to his complete shock, the prayer went viral. It got reported in secular media, Christian media. It even got reported by the Jerusalem Post in, in, a, in a favorable and fair way. So I shot him a note and said, hey man, praying for you and, and glad to see the exposure this is getting. We began to talk and he asked me to come and preach for him. And as I was preparing to preach, I was thinking about this whole Jezebelic theme, Jezebel of old, and how this woman was used in such a destructive way in Israel, the woman that Jesus refers to as Jezebel in the New Testament. And I began to connect the dots in today's society. But let's just lay this out here. Look first at the spirit of idolatry the turning away from the one true God in our culture to follow other gods. G.K. Chesterton said, when a man stops believing in God, he doesn't then believe in nothing, he believes in anything. So it's not just that we turn away from the truth, but we embrace every kind of false ideology. And then we give ourselves to the gods of the flesh and the gods of this world and are consumed with earthly, worldly things. I don't think any of us would argue with the fact that as a nation, we have been turning away from the one true God after idols, after other gods, after other things. Well, that's one thing that you expect to see that's no surprise in our culture. But what about the next, the seduction of porn? We said that idolatry and sexual immorality are closely related. Well, there's sexual immorality in every generation. Since the fall of man, we've dealt with that. But what's new is that you have internet porn. What's new is that you have a vehicle to get things out that has never existed before in the history of the human race. And to be candid, in my worst drug rebellion days when I was 15, 16 years old and shooting heroin and doing crazy things, I didn't even know that some of this stuff existed. Now an eight-year-old kid can access it. It's a plague, it's epidemic, and it's right in the church where people are struggling. Consider some of these facts about porn. Porn sites, receive more regular traffic than Netflix, Amazon, and Twitter combined each month. Everything in my book, there were two fact checkers that went through everything, checking, verifying statements, making sure it was all accurate. 35% all of all internet downloads are porn related. People who admit to having extramarital affairs were over 300% more likely to admit consuming porn than those who've never had an affair. At least 30% of all data transferred across the internet is porn related. There are even articles today on subjects like, quote, the detrimental effects of pornography on small children. It's a plague. It's an epidemic, the likes of which we've never faced before in our history. When I say our history, the history of the human race. Article in 2013 in the Huffington Post, a staggering statistic in a recent university report stated that peer-to-peer -peer users, those who share images, we're more likely to have images of very young children and violent images. This is sickening. Of peer-to-peer -peer users arrested in 2009, 33% had photos of children aged three or younger. And 42% had images of children that showed sexual violence. I mean, this is so out of the realm of anything we think about or deal with, we don't know it exists, but this exists. 
on a, on a level that is pandemic, spiritually speaking, and morally speaking, and culturally speaking. But, but let's keep going so you'll understand why I associate, associate this with the same demonic powers that work through Queen Jezebel working again today. Let's think about the baby-killing spirit. We said that she's not explicitly mentioned in association with killing babies, sacrificing babies, but we know when there's idolatry in the ancient world, there's baby sacrifice, commonly, and we know that she was a murderer of the prophets. Here's a Greek source dating back to 146 BC. It describes the practice in Carthage, which today is the city of Tunis in Tunisia. Quote, there stands in their midst a bronze statue of Kronos, its hands extended over a bronze brazier, the flames of which engulf the child. When the flames fall upon the body, the limbs contract and the open mouth seems almost to be laughing until the contracted body slips quietly into the brazier. And recently, just last November, there was an article on a Catholic website, statue of ancient god of child sacrifice put on display in Rome. This is one of the, the different ones where parents would sacrifice their babies mind-boggling, beyond sickening, the fact that this statue is just erected now, just put up in Rome. Why in the world? For what purpose? But, but I want you to consider what's happening today in our world. I had on my radio show Christian attorney Matt Staver, and he referred to, quote, amazing situations where Planned Parenthood clinics were taking babies and intentionally aborting them so that they could harvest intact organs some of which were born alive while the hearts were still beating. Hearts were being removed while they were still alive. I mean, they've testified about this in court, friends. Listen to this. He continued, brains were being removed while the hearts were still beating. And we have evidence where they sliced the baby's face in two with a scalpel and then extracted the brain while the baby was still alive. This is reality, friends. Matt was on my show talking about the, the videos that were exposing Planned Parenthood. So rather than Planned Parenthood being punished for this, the, the ones that did the videos are being punished. And he was explaining how they would get orders in each day that the research labs, whatever, needed certain body parts or organs and things like that. So they would, uh, they would abort accordingly, schedule things to make sure that they could meet the quota. He's, he's sharing this with me. It's the first time I'm, I'm hearing some of these specific words we're trying to do a radio interview. I'm sitting there crying, thinking, how do, you, how do you go on with a radio interview when this is happening on our watch in our world? Now, please understand something. Some of you here, maybe in your past, had an abortion. Maybe you're a woman here, you had an abortion in the past. Maybe you're a man, you were complicit with it, and you found grace and forgiveness in the Lord. I don't want to open an old wound. I don't want you to feel condemned for something that you've gotten right with God. But I want the rest of us to sense the burden of this and the reality of what is happening and why we, we must be ever vigilant to stand and have God's heart. And, and please understand this, we're not talking about a 12-year-old girl who got raped by an uncle and to her shock finds she's pregnant and is terrified, doesn't, can't tell her parents, doesn't know what to do and secretly finds some way to get an abortion. You have, you have tremendous compassion for someone in a horrific situation like that and try to get that person back to wholeness. We're talking about the shout your abortion spirit. We're talking about the militant out and proud. Come on, who had an abortion here? Let's shout it out. We're, we're talking about during the Kavanaugh hearings, the, the women that were literally pounding on the Supreme Court doors and scratching 
the, the doors of the, of the court. That's what we're talking about when we talk about a baby-killing spirit. How different is it from the spirit in the ancient world where babies were sacrificed to idols? How different is it really? And then radical feminism. We're not talking about a healthy feminism that says equal pay for a woman doing the same work that esteems and honors women. No, we're talking about a man-hating, family-hating radical feminism. And Jezebel of old, you could say, was, was the pioneer radical feminist. Some of the central issues taken on by radical feminists include a critique of motherhood, marriage, the nuclear family, and sexuality, questioning how much of our culture is based on patriarchal assumptions, and a critique of other institutions, including government and religion, as centered historically in patriarchal power. So you try to do anything with biblical order today, that's toxic masculinity. You try to do anything where a man is going to be a godly leader and a woman is going to be a godly woman and, and they're going to serve God together. And No, that, that's now the enemy. Here's some quotes from pioneer radical feminist Linda Gordon. The nuclear family must be destroyed. Whatever is ultimate, meaning the breakup of families, now is an objectively revolutionary process. Or Andrew Dworkin, marriage as an institution developed from rape as a practice. Or Sheila Cronin, since marriage constitutes slavery for women, it is clear that the women's movement must concentrate on attacking this institution. Freedom for women cannot be won without the abolition of marriage. And I want you to consider something. If you go back in America 50 years ago, we had our share of problems, we had our share of issues. There were plenty of things that were wrong. There's no doubt about that. But we weren't dealing with these same things. We weren't dealing with internet porn. There's no such thing as internet. We weren't dealing with porn on that level. We weren't dealing with radical feminism on that level. We weren't dealing with the baby-killing spirit on that level. We weren't even dealing with idolatry on the same level. And then something else that we associate with Jezebel is the emasculating of men. Here, many of you are around my age. I, I turned 65 in a few days, God willing. Well, I grew up, we watched shows like Leave it to Beaver, Andy Griffith, Father Knows Best. And when I watched those with my family, we didn't sit around the table saying, this is... There's no family on the planet like this. It just seemed normal. It's like normal life, normal family. How about the emasculating of men? Back in 2005, so 15 years ago, John Tierney published an op-ed in the New York Times titled, The Doofus Dad, beginning with this anecdote. One evening, after watching Homer Simpson wreck the family car at a monster truck rally and plunge on a skateboard into Springfield Gorge, my six-year-old son asked me, why are dads on TV so dumb? I mean, it's not just the Homer Simpsons of the world, but show after show. And this has been for many, many years. The dad is the idiot. The dad is the jerk. The dad's the last one to get it. The dad's the, the laughing stock of the family. These are not unrelated things. Radical feminism is not unrelated to the baby-killing spirit. And, and this is not unrelated to the emasculating of men. And even porn has an emasculating effect. Let's keep going. The war on gender, turning men into women and women into men. It just goes naturally out of radical feminism and naturally out of emasculating men. I mean, this is day and night. Biologically male NCAA runner named Conference Female Athlete of the Week. Listen, I was just in Australia, was supposed to be in New Zealand before that, but there were some visa and ticketing issues and I didn't get to New Zealand. But they had wanted me to speak on Jezebel's War, but we tailor-made it for Australia and New Zealand. And I was able to use pictures of male athletes in Australia and New Zealand who were winning and co competing against the women. In other words, this is happening around the world. Or you talk about the war on gender, how about this? Drag queens 
reading to children, toddlers, and libraries with the endorsement of the American Library Association. This is absolute madness. This is a form of child abuse. You say, well, have compassion on the drag queens. I do, and I want them to stay away from our children. You can have compassion and have wisdom. At this. Look, there, there can be someone who's got a virus, you have compassion on that person, but you don't let them play with your children. You give me one positive outcome of this. You tell me one redemptive thing about this when the whole goal is to get children to accept all these different styles and variations and variations of men and women and, and gender and all this. And listen, if you have followed gay activism over the decades, then you know that some years back there was kind of a, a change of tactic from the early days of we're here, we're queer, get used to it, and the in-your-face displays, there was a real change in saying, hey, it's just a matter of equality, it's just a matter of what's, want to have our relationships the way you have your relationship. It's not like this extreme stuff at the gay pride events, it's not like the drag queen stuff. No, it's just, you know, two men, two women that love each other. We should be able to have a recognized relationship, raise kids, etc. And I'm sure many feel that way. And the average person who identifies as LGBT that you meet, you meet just wants to live their lives. They're, in other words, they're not an activist. They just want to live their lives and be accepted the way we're accepted. I understand that. But the fact of the matter is that there is always a larger agenda. And part of it is those who came out of the closet want to put us in the closet. And another part is that, that if it's gay, it's good. So therefore, the same people that a few years ago were saying, no, no, we're not talking about the drag queen stuff. Now they're saying it's great that drag queens are reading to toddlers. In other words, there is no compromise. It, it keeps going in one direction only. And the only antidote, the only thing to push back against that is the Church of Jesus. That's the fact. Dr. Michael Brown will continue with his remarks at the Illinois Family Institute's 2020 Worldview Conference after this. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight during this edition. We're highlighting an address by Dr. Michael Brown during the recent Illinois Family Institute 2020 Worldview Conference. In this segment, he says, during these troubling times, Christians must live their lives with Christ-centered conviction and not the spirit of compromise that leads to chaos. How about the rise of sorcery and witchcraft? New York Times, just a few months ago, when did everybody become a witch? Witch parties, witch protests, and a bevy of new books. We have reached peak witch. Another article. Trump's presidency has spawned a new generation of witches. Magic has long been a form of protest, but resistance through sorcery has burst into the mainstream consciousness only twice in recent memory, during the 1960s and now. How interesting. And if you go back to the 1960s, there was a group called the Women's International Terrorist Conspiracy from Hell. Ladies, could you spell it out a little more clearly, please? Yeah, the acronym WITCH, W-I-T-C-H. Women's International Conspiracy from Hell. This was a pioneer radical feminist group that decided to say it as it is. When I was writing this book, I was looking for something on Amazon, online, some books and some information, and I decided to click on the link for the books that not are the best-selling books in America today, but the most read. I'm not sure how Amazon knows this, but they have the category of the books that are being read more than any other book in America right now. It's not just the best sellers, but the best read books. When I looked, seven out of the top 10 were Harry Potter books. This is, this is now, this, this is not 
you know, five or ten years ago. And I understand that there's a certain innocence about the books and, and we're not talking about like the women's international terrorist conspiracy from hell. But listen, if, if your kids are engrossed with that, they're not going to be engrossed with the Bible. They're going to be engrossed with spells and all that. It's just another open door in the wrong direction. But another sign of the rise of sorcery, witchcraft in our society. And witches now on a regular basis since Trump's presidency coming together to hex the president. And then what about the silencing of the prophets? I'm just connecting the dots. The same demonic forces that were operating through Jezebel of old operating again today. The silencing of the prophets. Listen to these words. We must decide and decide quickly who is chief, whom we will serve. Millions of people in America live in a moral fog. Modified immorality on the basis of cleverness guides millions of people. Modified dishonesty within the letter of the law is the practice of millions more. Surely the time has come because the hour is late when we must decide. And the choice before us is plain, Yahweh or Baal, Christ or chaos, conviction or compromise, discipline or disintegration. I mean, these words are quite relevant. It's only one problem. It's Peter Marshall spoke to them in 1947. Oh, he said, I suggest to you that America needs prophets today who will set before the nation the essential choices. We need a prophet who will have the ear of America and say to her now, how long will you halt and stand between two opinions? If Yahweh is God, follow him. But if Baal be God, follow him and go to hell. 1947, it, it strikes me as very odd today that when we have brothers and sisters around the world who are literally losing their heads for the gospel, when I've worked in India, I've been there 27 straight years, where, where men that we have laid hands on and sent out to preach, I mean, personally been involved, sending them out to preach that they have been martyred, where I've literally washed the feet of, of the, the man's widow after, after his martyrdom, and seen others each year getting killed for the faith, and they just go out and preach because they know, hey, it may cost us everything, but these people need to hear about Jesus. It strikes me as so odd that this is happening around the world, and yet in America, we're afraid to speak up because someone might unfriend us on Facebook. We're afraid as pastors to speak up because maybe a good tithing member will leave. Friends, something's wrong with this picture. I mean, we're being silenced when there's barely even a threat to us. Yeah, I have friends that have lost jobs for their stand for righteousness. I know others that have gone to jail for their stand for righteousness, but I don't know anyone in America where, where people are literally putting a gun to our head and saying, if you preach, you die. Yet our brothers and sisters around the world are doing that very thing. When there was some horrific persecution that broke out in Orissa in India a few years ago, one of my dear friends that planted thousands of churches in tribal areas, he was telling me about what they would do. They'd take a pastor and his wife and children and they'd pour gasoline over the wife and children and say, we set them on fire unless you deny Jesus. Who can imagine things like that? We don't face anything that's in that universe. And yet so many times we're afraid to speak up. We don't want to get in trouble on our job. We don't want to be unpopular in school. And, and we use wisdom, absolutely. And, and we seek to do everything we do in love. And we don't bash and attack others. We speak the truth in love. But friends, we need to stand. And we need to speak. And, and we cannot be silenced by intimidation. The unspoken mantra of gay activists for years has been we will intimidate and we will manipulate until you capitulate and we have to say sorry we're not going to capitulate amen let, let me just boil this down on a more personal level for a minute here and over the years 
preaching. I started preaching in 1973 at the age of 18, traveling around the world, been out of the States a couple hundred times. You encounter lots of spiritual opposition. There are real demonic powers. And sometimes you go through an extended battle. Now listen, again, as I said at the beginning, I am not a devil-focused person. I'm a Jesus-focused person. And one of my friends had a friend who was in an extended trial, and he kept rebuking Satan, rebuking Satan, rebuking Satan. And finally, the Lord said to him, you know, you and I would get along much better if you quit calling me Satan. So I understand that many times God's putting us through different things, and it's not the devil. But there are times when we're in real spiritual warfare. And I've had my own encounters with Jezebel, you could say. Again, not talking about a person. But, but from America to India, I've experienced this, that Jezebel opposes the prophetic call to repentance. And that if you confront the spirit of the age, you will encounter Jezebel. When my first book came out with a national call to repentance with a promise for revival in America many years ago, no sooner did the book come out than I came under the most unusual spiritual attack I'd ever experienced. It was intimidating. I love to preach, I love to minister, but I didn't want to speak. I didn't want to get on a plane to fly anywhere. I, I, I felt spiritually emasculated, like I had no authority. My wife Nancy was, was getting one sickness after another, just strange things, attacks, and we just felt bombarded. We felt oppressed. And, and, and the moment it happened, I recognized, I, I felt this message, this, this wake-up call. In that sense, the prophetic call that the church brings to the society, the wake-up call, the call to repentance. No sooner did I start speaking that, I felt this hellish, unusual opposition. I mean, it stood out. And I immediately thought back to, to Elijah and Jezebel, that when we stand and bring that message of repentance, when we confront the idolatry of society, there's often an unholy pushback. And this lasted for months. It was, it was ultimately with, with prayer and fasting that this broke. A few years after that, I was in India, and I was there for a month. And we were going to be in different cities for about four days, three or four days at a time, a very intense schedule. We drive through the night in these old dusty roads and then three times a day speak and then do that for three or four days and then travel again. Just a hectic schedule. But there was one city we were targeting. It was the city of Vijayawada. And in that city, there was a massive temple to the goddess Kanaka Durga. And my friend explained to me that this was the most worshipped deity in the state of Andhra, in Andhra Pradesh, 60 million people, and that we really wanted to go there and preach Jesus in the midst of this idolatrous city. And, and as we were praying about it months in advance, I really felt somehow that we need to declare that Jesus is Lord, not Kanaka Durga. Kind of like a 1 Kings 18, Elijah saying, who's the real God? Not that we're going to call down fire from heaven, but just preach in such a way that there was a clear confrontation. A couple of weeks before we got there, we're in India, and suddenly, I feel this unusual spiritual attack. And it reminded me of exactly what I had been through a few years earlier. And I thought, this feels, quote, Jezebelic. All the same thing, a loss of authority, loss of faith, loss of confidence, this intimidating fear. So I said to my friend, Yesu Padam, I said, brother, tell me about the statue of Kanaka Durga. What does it look like? He said, well, she's this beautiful warrior woman with multiple hands and she's holding in her hands the head of the the giant that she killed well that sounds jezebelic in fact i found this on on the internet she's riding on a lion and she's piercing with a spear she's killing this this strong looking man who's the king of demons this is part of hindu mythology and hindu idolatry 
And he said to me, brother, something else that's very odd. He said, once a year, all of her male followers dress up like women and wear makeup. I thought, are you kidding me? Talk about emasculating of men. And we had a, a great, powerful series of meetings there, and Jesus was highly exalted. Just wonderful things came out of it. But I was preaching on this theme a few months ago, and a woman came up to me afterwards from India. And she said, Dr. Brown, I'm from India. I minister there regularly. She said, I've encountered the exact same thing you have. She said, but you need to read up more about Kanaka Durga. L look at this. India gets its first transgender Hindu idol at this year's Durga worship festival. Kanaka Durga is now the god of homosexuals and transgenders in India. Half man, half woman. As bizarre as all this seems, friends, I'm telling you, there are spiritual realities and things that we're confronting. I got a, an email from a godly woman, she and her husband, very, very solid in the Lord, strong people of faith. And she wrote this to me, Dear Dr. Brown, when we were in D.C. last year, we accidentally got caught up in a demonstration against Justice Kavanaugh. The next morning when I thought about what we encountered the previous day, I realized how dark the atmosphere had been in the midst of the protesters. After we got home, I felt as though we had, quote, picked up something while in D.C. and asked for prayer at our home group. She said, it was at this time that my husband began to slip into a state of deep depression. To give a few details, he didn't want to live. He felt he was a total failure in every area. He became intensely fearful of everything and acted irrationally at times. And he felt he had failed God and that God was angry with him. And it was subsequently when they saw me on a TV show talking about the Jezebel book that they started to connect the dots. And as I began to speak on these things, I began to hear from so many people said, I've been in that same spiritual condition and, and I feel broken down. I feel intimidated by fear. I'm afraid to speak out. I feel paralyzed and I have all this hanging over me. And I know there can be other reasons for this, but I'm telling you there is a spiritual battle that we are in. And what's extraordinary is when you get to 2 Kings, there's a man named Jehu. He's described as driving recklessly. He's not in the royal line, he's, he's a general, he's a political outsider, but he comes in zealous for the cause of God, zealous for the cause of Yahweh, but he does things in such a way that there's a lot of collateral damage. Sound like anyone we can think of today? <laughs> zealous for the cause of God, zealous for righteousness, but with a lot of collateral damage and called reckless. I've read a Christian author and a Jewish author both saying that Donald Trump is kind of a Jehu type figure, zealous for good, doing all this good, but with a lot of collateral damage. What's interesting, what's interesting is this, that Jehu is the one who ultimately brings Jezebel down. And, and I want you to consider this, that a Jehu-like person, one of these alpha males, is naturally gonna come in conflict with Jezebel. So I understand why many men and women have issues with President Trump. I opposed him in the primaries and then embraced him when he was running against Hillary Clinton. But I understand his past, his misogynist past, and different things, the Playboy past and all that, narcissism. I, have, I fully understand why many women would have a problem with the president, why, why Christians in different ways would have a problem with the president, I understand that. But the level of hatred towards him, the level of radical feminist hatred towards him, the, the, the level of shout your abortion hatred for him, the level of witchcraft hatred for him, there's more going on, friends. There's more going on. And it's ultimately Jehu who comes in conflict with Jezebel. She still speaks to him like a seductress in 2 Kings 9, but he has none of it. And, and she's up in a window, 
And he says, who's on my side? And it says two or three eunuchs, two or three eunuchs were there and they throw her down and she dies. Again, we're not talking about people. We're not talking about hurting people. But look at the principle. It's the castrated males who finally rise up and throw Jezebel down. So to the extent, male, female, that we have lost authority, to the extent that we have lost faith, that we have lost confidence, to the extent that we have been intimidated by fear, to the extent that we have been seduced by porn and the spirit of the age, we must stand up and cast Jezebel down. We must stand up in the Lord and put on the armor of God. We must build ourselves up in faith and overcome the spirit of fear. Because friends, when we talk about Jezebel, meaning the, the same demonic powers that operated through her, operating again today. Friends, Satan himself has been defeated by the cross. Amen. Satan himself has been defeated by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And in him, we have authority over the powers of darkness. So we need to stand together. And as we, we are active in social action, as we are active politically, as we are active in every way we know how, in the school systems, in a pro-life movement, in, in every way that we know how that we are active in, in practical ways, we must also gird everything in prayer. We must also fight spiritually because as we do this, as we, as we put prayer and faith behind our action, we can really see change come. And I, I end saying this, there have been many dark times in American history before. Where we live today, we can look around and say it's never been this bad, and in certain ways, it never has been. There are things happening in our generation that no generation has ever faced. But in the 1700s, 1720s, before the Great Awakening, one of the leaders then, Joseph Taylor, said religion lay, as it were, dying in America. Like it was all over. And then the Great Awakening came. This was in the, the colonies. And then revival scholar James Edwin Orr said in the year 1800, Chief Justice John Marshall said, the church has fallen too far to ever recover. That was 1800s. And my favorite of all, 1966, Time Magazine, front cover. First time there was no picture, just text. Is God dead? April, 1966. Five years later, June, 1971, there's a hippie looking Jesus on the front cover and it says, the Jesus Revolution. That's the very year I got saved and so many other hippies and radicals and rebels got saved. Right in that time, no, God is not dead. And no, it's not too late for America. There can be an even greater awakening, but it's gonna come through you and me. It's gonna come through awakening in our own personal lives. And then as we go after God and make ourselves available, change can come. And Jezebel can be defeated in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen, thank you so much. Dr. Michael Brown, during the Illinois Family Institute's 2020 Worldview Conference at the Village Church of Barrington. You can connect with his ministry at askdrbrown.org. Please be in prayer during the global pandemic, and remember to pray for and support the ongoing work of the Illinois Family Institute, illinoisfamily.org. Also, tell a friend about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. 
If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize. 